the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You don't leave being Jewish when you become a Christian. It just simply means you've accepted that Christ is Messiah, okay? You're still a Jew. Uh, Jews today who have believed in Jesus call themselves sometimes a completed Jew. Uh, they call themselves perhaps a Messianic Jew. They're still Jewish. But interestingly enough, of the six million Jews in the United States, you know how many now identify themselves as Christian? Okay, not necessarily evangelical, but as Christian? 1.7 million in the United States. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. Some in the Christian church have made the mistake of devaluing or ignoring the relevance of the Jewish people. Pastor Gary reminds you today that your God is the same God as theirs. Jesus is the Messiah that they've waited generations for. And it was Jewish people that started the first Christian churches. Jesus hopes that all Jews and Gentiles will come together under him and unite in his kingdom as one. Support Israel and the Jewish people. Pray that they'll see Jesus as the Messiah that he is. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans, chapter 11, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans, chapter 11, this evening. Romans, chapter 11. We have Bibles for anyone who needs one. We always uh, try to provide Bibles for you so that everyone can follow along. So raise a hand if you need a Bible tonight. Page 843 in those church Bibles. I don't know what page it is in your Bible, but in the church Bibles anyway, it's page 843, Romans chapter 11. Very, very important chapter in relation to... Israel and the Jewish people. If you have friends or loved ones who are Jewish, and many times I get questions regarding the future and the fate of the Jewish people, uh, this is an important chapter to understand. So if you've been with us through our Wednesday night series in Romans, you will remember that chapters 9, 10, and 11 particularly deal with Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, Paul is writing from his heart because he is himself Jewish. Uh, but he is uh, concerned for the Jewish people uh, because uh, absent a personal relationship with Jesus, 
uh, that anyone, whether you were Jew or Gentile, uh, is, is hopeless. And so he has a heart for his own people because he is Jewish. And that's why he starts out in chapter 9 saying, if there's any way that I could take the curse and the punishment intended for my own people, I would do it. But you have to have a personal relationship with Christ, and it's nothing that I can do on behalf of the Jewish people. But he longs that his own people would come to faith in Christ. Uh, Last week, when we looked at chapter 10, if you'll look back at the first four verses, he says, uh, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites, uh, is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God. And sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So what he's saying is it's it's not that they're without understanding, but but they think that they that they are made righteous before God through the Old Testament sacrificial system. And and Paul is trying to encourage us to all understand that the Old Testament, the, the system of the sacrifice was put in place to point us to Christ, and all of it foreshadowed the ultimate fulfillment that would be in Jesus Christ, that no longer would you need to bring your lambs to slaughter, because in the truest sense, Jesus became that Passover lamb for us who gave his life on a cross, and by his one and only and final sacrifice, uh, everyone who believes can be made righteous before God. And so, Paul is now in the thick of this argument here, Romans 9, 10, and 11, developing this whole argument. And and he's going to address the the whole issue about Israel and the Jewish people and where they fit into God's calling and election. And, And seeing as how, even in Paul's day and in our day, most Jews do not believe that Jesus is Messiah, then what does this mean for their salvation? Uh, every year at our Q&A weekend, which is usually the weekend between Christmas and New Year's, when I take you know, a bunch of questions that get texted in, I can tell you every year and in every service this question comes up uh, because people have a heart and a concern for the Jewish people. And we talk a lot about you know, how to be saved and the cross and the New Testament and becoming a Christian, but it still leaves a lot of people wondering, but what does this mean for the Jewish people? And are they included? Are they excluded? Will they be saved or will they not be saved? And so Paul is addressing all of this, and he's going to answer it very directly in chapter 11. Now, leading up to chapter 11, Paul is going to be addressing questions that he anticipates are coming Because the majority of Jews have not accepted Jesus as Messiah, then he anticipates, well, maybe they didn't hear the good news. That's chapter 10, verse 18. We read it last week. And he answers that, and he says, no, they heard. they, they, They heard. They heard the good news, so there's no excuse there. But then he anticipates later in in chapter 10, verse 19, well, maybe they just didn't understand. maybe Okay, maybe they heard, but maybe they didn't understand. Paul answers that as well. He says, no, they understand. At the end of chapter uh, 10, the very last sentence, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. He says, no, they understand. He says, they just rejected because they were disobedient and obstinate. He said, that's that's just simply uh, the truth about the reality of the Jewish people. And again, Paul is writing as a Jew himself. So, you know, I want to be careful as I go through chapter 11... That though this this is this is some strong language coming from Paul, okay? I'm just I'm just the messenger, all right? The message is from God, and we need to understand this because we should all have a heart for Jewish people and want to pray for Jewish people. 
But we need to understand where they fit in in terms of God's calling and election. And and Paul is going to outline this here. And so in chapter 11, he's going to begin, look at the first verse. And he begins with a question. I ask then, did God reject his people? So again, on the screens here, he, he continues to make this anticipating questions and objection to his position here. And he says, well, maybe God has rejected them altogether. He says, maybe people are wondering that God has just simply rejected the Jewish people altogether. Now, folks, I need to point out that there are some people today, even in Christian circles, who believe this. It is called replacement theology. It is a bad doctrine. It is terrible theology, but it is called replacement theology. And it goes something like this. There are a lot of Christians today who believe that God is done with the Jews, he's done with the nation of Israel, that the nation of Israel in terms of Old Testament pointed to the church of the New Testament and that the church now has fulfilled the covenant promises of God because Israel rejected those covenant promises in the Old Testament. So the church, those who believed in Jesus Christ, have now fulfilled the ultimate covenant promises of God and that the church, we have replaced Israel in terms of theology and doctrine. Replacement theology is what it's called, therefore. It's a terrible theology. It's a terrible doctrine. And you'd be surprised by the number of people and some rather famous people who believed this. Those of you with Lutheran backgrounds, Martin Luther had some of the most anti-Semitic things to say about the Jews. Because he believed this. He believed that God was done with the Jews and that the church has replaced the Jews in terms of all the promises, and that God's promises don't extend to the Jewish people anymore. I'll quote to you from a little bit of his writing entitled, The Jews and Their Lies. You can tell from the title right there, Martin Luther's not a good friend for the Jews. He entitled his work, The Jews and Their Lies. It's a long dissertation. I'll read just a couple of short little paragraphs, just a couple of sentences. Here's one, for example, he said in his writing. He said, quote, Therefore, be on your guard against the Jews, knowing that wherever they have their synagogues, nothing is found but a den of devils, in which their sheer self-glory, conceit, lies, blasphemy, and defaming of God and men are practiced most maliciously and vehemming his eyes on them, end quote. Here's another little section. He said, quote, Moreover, they are nothing but thieves and robbers. Talking about Jews. They are nothing but thieves and robbers who daily eat no morsel and wear no thread of clothing, which they have not stolen and pilfered from us by means of their accursed usury. End quote. Another one, he said, quote, What shall we Christians do with this rejected and condemned people, the Jews? Since they live among us, we dare not tolerate their conduct. Now that we are aware of their lying and, and reviling and blaspheming, if we do, we become sharers in their lies, cursing and blasphemy. Thus we cannot extinguish the unquenchable fire of divine wrath of which the prophets speak, nor can we convert the Jews. End quote. And it goes on, but I'll spare you all the rest of it because it's pretty miserable. But in other words, people even like Martin Luther believed that God was done with the Jewish people, that he was angry with the Jewish people, that he has nothing but contempt for the Jewish people, and thus as Christians, so should we. And that kind of thing is what feeds anti-Semitic views and thoughts and behavior towards Jews around the world. It is interesting, isn't it, that though there are only around 16 million Jews around the world, there are few races or groups of people or nationalities that have more vitriol and more hatred towards 
than the Jewish people. It's an amazing thing when you think about how so few there are, and yet such anti-Semitism, such hostility, such animosity. Why is this? Well, of course, it's because the enemy himself, Satan, is the one who inspires anti-Semitism because he hates the Jewish people and he hates the fact that a Messiah, Jesus, came from the Jewish race. And thus, Satan is opposed to everything related to Jesus, related to the Jews, related to the redemptive plan of God that happened to have come through a Jewish race that God brought about out of nothing. There were no Jews. There was no Jewish race until God called one man, Abraham, out of the Ur of the Chaldees in the middle of Iraq and said you are going to be the one through whom the seed will come and a great nation will be born and thus the Jewish race came about through the seed of Abraham. Abraham was not a Jew. Abraham was a Gentile, a pagan, a guy who just was in the middle of the wilderness of Iraq and God in his providential design plucked this guy out and said through you and he makes a covenant with him in Genesis chapter 12 and he says I will bless you to be a blessing And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. And all nations on earth will be blessed through you. And he didn't just mean Abraham himself. He meant through the seed of Abraham, the Jewish nation, the race of people that ultimately would produce Messiah would be a blessing to all nations. But that that covenant statement is still intact. Those who bless Israel will be blessed. And those who curse Israel will be cursed. That has not been replaced, and the church has not replaced Israel either. And so we need to have a heart for the Jewish people, but we need to understand where they are spiritually. And what Paul describes in chapter 11 is very similar to the way things are even today. Not much has changed in in nearly 2,000 years here, but things are changing, and things shall change. Because the Bible predicts it. And God talks about it here in chapter 11. So he answers this question. Well, maybe God has rejected them altogether. And he's going to answer. He's going to say, no, they have simply stumbled. Okay, look at verse 1 again. I ask them, did God reject his people? By no means. And then he, now he's going to give some evidence here of why God has not rejected the Jewish people. And the first thing he says here is, I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Okay, it's all connected with foreknowledge. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, Paul writes, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. So here's the evidence that he points to. He says, first of all, God has not rejected and forsaken his people because he goes, I'm a Jew and I'm a believer. So he says, I'm evidence, you know, uh, you know, in the court, because he's, he's, again, he's trying to build this case here. He says, I'm evidence that God has not rejected his people because I'm a Jew and I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus, Yeshua, Yahshua is Messiah, that he died for my sins. And I place, place my faith and trust in him. No longer do I work my way to God through the law. If I did, then it wouldn't be grace. But the cross is grace because it's a message of a gift to all who would believe and receive. That you and I aren't good enough to get to God by ourselves or our own righteous works or our own good duty or our own, you know, best effort. So God made a way for us. 
knowing that it is impossible for us to be good enough or climb the ladder of righteousness to get to heaven. So he sends his son Jesus, dies on a cross, says, now, the punishment intended for you, I'm going to put on him. Though his life is perfect, I'm going to put all your sins on him. I'm going to, in effect, accept in exchange, it's the great exchange, his life for your life. His life for the lives of all of humanity. For as many as believed in him, to them that received him, he gave the right to become sons of God. So it's a gift now. You can't improve upon the cross. God knows that we are incapable of becoming righteous in ourselves. Thus he sends Jesus to die on a cross. And if you put your faith and trust in what Christ did, and you accept Jesus and his love for you, and his forgiveness for you, you shall be saved. That's the exercise of faith. And if you do anything to try to improve on it, now you've just replaced this faith, grace, gift with some works. And that's, that's Paul's argument. He's, he's like, you know, the Jewish people are still stuck in the works. We've got we to be good people. You know, I, a couple of years ago when we were in Israel, and sometimes, I didn't take the last couple of groups there, but sometimes we go to the Temple Institute in Jerusalem, in the old city, where zealous Jews are, are making all the articles of the temple because they're praying and believing that once again, the temple will be rebuilt on the Temple Mount so they have all the articles ready to go to furnish the temple. And so, you know, and I, in dialoguing with them, um, I asked them, you know, you don't have the temple now. You don't have the sacrifices. How do you atone for your sins? And their answer was, well, the rabbi said, because they, they can't do what the Bible says, if there's no temple and there's no sacrifice, obviously, in God's divine plan of things, friends, the temple was destroyed so that now the focus is off the sacrificial system and onto the Savior, okay? But... Unfortunately, if you, if you don't see that, you're waiting again for the sacrificial system. Well, what do you do in the meantime when there are no sacrifices? And so this lady, she said, well, our rabbi says that if you pray and do good works, that's how you get to heaven. And that's not what the Bible says. I pointed it out to her. She wasn't all that happy, and so I had to leave promptly. <laughs> uh, but, um, but, you know, the Bible says it's a blood sacrifice. And if you can't make sacrifices, then what other blood sacrifice is there for you? Well, it's the one blood, blood sacrifice that was paid for all by one for all time. And that's the sacrifice of Jesus and his death and his sacrifice on the cross. So it's not by works are we saved. Paul says, I'm a Jew and I'm a believer. I'm evidence that God has not rejected his people. And then the other thing, the other case he makes in here, number two on the list, is that God always has a remnant. And he points in the past, he says, remember Elijah? He said, remember Elijah on Mount Carmel and he confronted the prophets of Baal and Asherah? There's 450 prophets devoted to Baal, the false Canaanite god, and 400 prophets devoted to Asherah, the female counterpart of Baal, the female goddess of fertility of the Canaanites. And Elijah, this one prophet of God, calls him to a showdown on Mount Carmel. And you know the story, and I'll just skip through all the details, but, but the result is that God showed up in a very dramatic way and so the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asher were slaughtered, all 850 of them. And all of a sudden then, Elijah gets all afraid. Why? Because Jezebel, the queen at this time, who had married Ahab, the king of Israel, Jezebel puts a hit on his, on his life. She rolls mafia style, friends. That's what she does. She puts a hit on this guy's life. And so he runs for his life. Bible says he runs from Mount Carmel to Beersheba. It's 100 miles. And then he gets to Beersheba, and then he goes another day into the desert where he, where he finds this cave and just kind of sits in it. And he says to God, I'm the only prophet in all of Israel. 
I'm the only guy doing anything good for you, Lord. Wow. <laughs> wow, Elijah. And God shows up and goes, ah, not so fast, Elijah. You're not really the only one. I got 7,000 prophets throughout the land who have not bowed their knee to Baal. So don't think you're the only one. In other words, Paul is using that example from 1 Kings 19 to remind the Jewish people that even in the days of Elijah, God had preserved a remnant. Even though Elijah thought he was the only one, God says, no, 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 I got 7,000 more. I've preserved a remnant. So he talks about the past. And then Paul says there in verse uh, 5, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Paul said even in his own day, he says, there's a remnant. There's a, there's a bunch of people who believe in Jesus as Messiah. Maybe the majority of Jews don't, but he says, there's still a remnant. God always has a remnant. And I just also added for context sake in the future as well, because in Revelation chapter 7, there's a remnant during the period of the tribulation. Remember, God has 144,000 Jews who are believers in Jesus, and they become evangelists throughout the world to lead people to Christ. He even has his remnant during the tribulation period. And God still has his remnant, even in our day. As I mentioned earlier, there are about 16 million Jews worldwide. About equal number in the U.S. as are in Israel. It's about 6 million Jews in Israel, about 6 million Jews in the United States, and the remaining 4 million around the world. Of the Jews in the United States, this is a remarkable number, folks. But of the 6 million Jews in the United States who identify themselves as Christians, as believers. Now listen, you don't leave your Jewishness. You don't, you don't leave being Jewish when you become a Christian. It just simply means you've accepted that Christ is Messiah. Okay, You're still a Jew. Uh, Jews today who uh, believed in Jesus call themselves sometimes a completed Jew. Uh, they call themselves perhaps a Messianic Jew. They're still Jewish. But... Interestingly enough, of the 6 million Jews in the United States, you know how many now identify themselves as Christian? Okay, Not necessarily evangelical, but as Christian? 1.7 million in the United States. Now, there's still great work to be done in Israel. Because in Israel, again, about the same equal number, 6 million Jews in Israel, about 6 million Jews in the United States. Of the 6 million Jews in Israel, only 20,000 proclaimed to be Messianic Jews. It's about 1% of the population. So the work is still, uh, you know, needs to be done in Israel. And the only thing that I can say would be the reason between if there's about equal number of Jews in both the United States and Israel, but 1.7 million identify themselves as Christians in the U.S., 20,000 in Israel, it has to be the influence of the church. It has to be evangelical Christians in the United States who are leading their friends and co-workers to Christ to an understanding that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah who died for the sins of the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike. So even in our day, God has preserved a remnant. There are more and more Jews coming to faith. On our last trip to Israel, one of my friends in Israel, who is actually the, the owner of Sarel Tours that we use in Israel, we have a travel agency stateside, and then we have a, a company in Israel, and uh, Sammy Smadji, his father, who just died last year, and Terry and I had, had lunch with him in one of our stops. But Sammy's uh, father planted 70 Messianic Jewish congregations throughout Israel. And so it is still a, a wonderful work of God's Spirit, and increasingly so among Jews today. And many of you have, you know, I've 
given the pulpit over to some who are Jewish believers. Uh, Ronnie Cohen has taken the pulpit. Amir Sarfati has taken the pulpit. Uh, Rob Shank has taken them. These are Jewish believers in Christ. Okay, They're not an anomaly, but they are a minority. Romans teaches that living for Jesus isn't just something you say with your mouth. It's an entire lifestyle change. Your heart and your mind are made new through the powerful grace and love of Jesus. You begin to want to do things as Jesus has, and that includes knowing what he says in the Word. It's important to make spending time in the Bible part of your life. You'll learn more about the Savior you follow and his plans for your life and for the world as a whole. We're so glad you tuned in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's message on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen again to this study in Romans, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you'll be able to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it all. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, we'd love to have you come join us for our weekly services at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each week on Sundays at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Come meet Pastor Gary, spend some time in the Word, and join us as we lift our voices in praise to our King. Directions to Cornerstone Chapel can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. We hope you'll join us again for this continuing study of Romans right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Mercy is waiting for you With every sunrise Hope is an open ocean Jump in and you'll find the cornerstones Your connection run towards your new Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.